Now, I do want to talk about something serious, though, and uh, that's the pain that we all face. And for these three weeks, God willing, we'll look at that. Uh, there's, a, there's an outline in your bulletin, if you'd like to follow, that at least shows you about when I'm going to be done. If nothing else, it's two pages in here, and I'm, I'm also in Romans chapter 8. This week, Romans chapter 8, so if you have a Bible or a pew Bible or a phone, we're going to look at some verses there. The groaning that's around the world. Now, I don't think I'm a negative person, but still we've got to deal with the headlines and also what some of you are going through right now and what we'll all go through at times, and that's the hurt that's all around our lives. And I don't have to prove anything. It's, it's in all the newspapers. It's everywhere we look in life. And it's, it's just the pain that's there in, in every part of life, whether it's a bowling alley fight that leaves three dead or the kind of things that happen. I didn't even know what a tsunami was until years ago. And perhaps related to crops or your life or your disease, you also know what pain is and groaning. And in Paul's letter to the, to the Romans, he spends the first chapters, think chapters 1, 2, and 3, on that we're all sinners. Whoa. And in chapter 3, he gets into, but by the keeping of the law, no one's ever going to be safe. But now, verse uh, 21 of chapter 3, he says, but now, that's since Jesus came, but now, the righteousness from God has been made known. From God. Not from down here. And this righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. In chapters 3 through 5, he explains that. In chapter 6, he says, you know, it's going to be hard, but here's what we need to do. Here's how to live the Christian life. In chapter 7, he says, but it's hard at times. You don't want to do right, but you do wrong I mean, you don't want to do wrong, but you do, and you, you want to do right, you know this, it's hard sometimes. That's chapter 7. But in chapter 8 is the great chapter surveying all of this, going backwards about salvation, and then ending up with nothing, no thing or person shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God. But I'm reading now in the middle of that, verse 18. So listen and, and carefully uh, check it. Uh, I think Josh would agree with all this. I love Josh. You have a good pastor. I'm, I'm connected with him a little bit, and uh, he has such a heart for you guys, and uh, uh, I'm so glad he's here. In chapter 8, verse 18, here we go. For I consider, suddenly he jumps into the pain. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Something big is ahead. Verse 17 or 19. For the creation waits with eager longing, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Huh? That's the great day when people are really going to see what it is that Jesus Christ is going to do for us. The revealing of the sons of God. And then he says, related to this, for the creation was subjected to futility, verse 20, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. 
towards God in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. This is all future. You guys, someday creation and people are going to be set free from the pain and the bondage. But in the meantime, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Now, that may be you when you got up this morning. That's the headlines for sure. It's creation. So that's what we're going to look at and how he handles pain. Let's start with this idea that pain is here all the time. Planes crash, people die, partners divorce, earth splits, jails are filled with anger, Human beings face personal cancer. I looked back on my life as a pastor and I remember five funerals of tiny babies, three people killed by drunk drivers, countless events of cancer and the horrors of pain in this world. I urge you not to dismiss the question, don't make it a theme, but let's see what God says about it the great theologian, the Apostle Paul. And what he does is help us see, first of all, that all creation groans. And its condition is right here in verses 21 and 22. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. Everything's, in one sense, going downhill. Even the human body, at a certain age, begins to go downward. By the way, you may know this, at 28, from 28 on, we go downhill. I'm not looking forward to that at all. (laughs) At age 28, I don't want you to stand if you're 28, but if you are, enjoy it. Because you got a little less than a year, and then you start declining. (laughs) But all creation groans. It says, waiting for the day when even creation itself will be set free. When Solomon looked at life itself, he said, vanity of vanities. Which means, as my prof said in Hebrews class down here at Grace Seminary, soap bubbles of soap bubbles. That it all is so short. The earth splits open. It groans. Tsunamis send a volcano at the bottom of the ocean, huh? Sends a wave that kills all kinds of people over in Indonesia. Why? Is a question that's so big on people's lives and on their hearts. And here he says, just this statement, all creation groans. And the cause is, well, look at it here. It's very clear, I think, in verse 20. For the creation is subjected, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage. When did that come? At the fall of man and woman... In the Garden of Eden, and we've all fallen in our own gardens, if you're mad at them. At the fall of man and woman, of the human race, creation started groaning. 
everything started going bad. From then on, they would die. Immediately, they died spiritually. Whoa, separated from the God who created them. They used to walk and talk and just be in the garden and be friends. But from then on, there would be pain in work. You who take care of farming, blame Adam and Eve that it's so hard. Especially Eve, if you're a man. No, both of them. Everything. From then on, there would be pain in childbirth. For them, from then on, there would be tension in marriage. For the first part of their marriage, however long it was, they never argued. But from then on, there was pain in the relationships. It says creation was subjected to futility. One time at the chapel back in Akron when I was preaching, I talked about heaven. It was a text about heaven. And I said in heaven, oh, ever since I started speaking at age 23, I think I've always said in heaven there will be no, no dandelions and no cancer. I picked dandelions because they're the nicest part of the curse. They're weeds, but they're pretty when they're yellow. Is that okay? I don't know if, if they bother you on your farm or if you're a farmer. But I, I said there'd be no dandelions and no cancer. I picked cancer because I think it's the worst. I hate it. Uh, I, was a, I was a young person, a young adult, when my mother died of cancer. Uh, I was at church when when I got the phone call that my sister had fallen off of a horse at my father's house on Father's Day. There wouldn't have been a father's house if they weren't divorced. And she died three days later. I asked why, our church asked why. This is all part of this subjection to futility. All part of the pain that started when man and woman became sinners. We all know it in our personal lives. And so what he's saying is the cause goes back to the fall. Death sets in. So in this sermon, I mentioned in the sermon, and I was speaking, and without thinking, I said, and in heaven there will be no cauliflower and no cancer. And then I thought when I was speaking, did I just say cauliflower? <laughs> and I looked down right over here where you're sitting, and I saw my good friend Roger turn to his wife and say, did he just say cauliflower? I could read his lips. That week we ate cauliflower, and I'm not sure there will be cauliflower <laughs> in heaven. No, but from dandelions or whatever you pick as the simplest pain to the worst, it's gone, but right now it's here. We groan. Now, that's the negative part of this. And if you ask why God allows pain, it accompanied sin. It came at the beginning. But let's don't stop there. There's really good news as he goes, but there's still the, the issue that we're going to face it. Whatever way it comes in our lives. Here's the issue I want us to get very important for the next three weeks. Creation groans, but we do too. Now look at it. Creation itself groans, but we do too. And here I'm looking at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Huh? 
We who are Christians, who have Christ in our lives, first fruits of the Spirit, we groan together, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Not only do weeds grow and do things go bad in the headlines, but we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, you get an apple from a tree, that means you're going to get more apples. The first fruits of the Spirit means you get Christ in your life or receive him as Savior. You're going to get a lot more that's good. Some of our salvation is right away. You're forgiven. By the way, can you explain what it means to receive the first gift, the first fruits of God's Spirit? It means, I think we're covering it up right now, but at the cross, that when Jesus Christ died, you may know this, all your sins, every one of them, was put on his spirit, on his soul. When he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because all of Newt Larson's sins and yours were put on his back. And paid for. Totally paid for. And when he said it is finished. It is paid for. It means judged. Forever and ever. Don't you dare say. When you go through pain. I am being judged for my sins maybe. Nonsense. All the sins were judged. When Jesus died on the cross. And when you put your faith in him. You believe that. You trust him as Savior. Is that you? Not only that, his judgment from that moment on counts for you. I'm with him is all I'm going to say when I go to heaven. And I point to Jesus. But not only are your sins judged, his righteousness now covers you in God's eyes. Whoa. Meaning that when God sees me and you, if you're a believer too... He sees you covered by the righteousness of Christ. Romans 4 says, our faith is counted as righteousness. That's terrific. Being a Christian doesn't mean you raise your hand and say, count me in, I'll take it. Yep, yep. Demons would say he's the son of God. He died on the cross. He rose again. Of course they do. Everybody says that almost. But it's when you put your faith in him and say, I trust him as my savior, that he died for me, and that his goodness counts for me, I believe in him from now on, then live in that combination with Christ in you and you in Christ. Is that you? You don't just go through life like this, you go through life with all your sins judged, with his righteousness in God's eyes, so live this way, covering you, and you know that when you die, you'll go immediately to be with him. And until then, you live in combination with Christ. So the first fruits of the Spirit means the moment somebody in crew believes, the moment I believed as a little child or you last week or now, his death counts for you, his righteousness covers you, and you still groan, but you wait for the day because you have the first evidence Christ 
in you, the hope of glory. Whoa. Now Paul's saying, we groan too, our condition. And many Christians don't like that. I understand that. I, don't, I personally don't like it, but it's just the way it is. And all of us are going to die and face it. Many Christians really love the health and wealth gospel. It's very popular. And it pretty much says that all pain is not your fault, and it's also uh, not God's fault, and it's not in his sovereign plan, and you should be happy and healthy. I heard a guy say that on TV. Uh, the most popular preacher in America preaches that when you put your faith in Christ or trust God, he'll give you promotions and your, a nicer car and everything. Martyrs at the stake were not listening to his, his sermons. The people who, who live regular life, and not soon after this, not long after this, Rome burned down. Nero started killing Christians. This was written in 62 AD. In 64 AD, Nero really brought on the groaning. And yet Paul would say we're more than conquerors through him, Christ, who loved us through the way that we live. So what he's saying is, all creation groans, but Christians do too. Do you believe that? I mean, it, it, it should bother us when they're suffering, and we should pray for each other and try to get out of it, but our condition is like many people that don't even believe. There will be suffering that's what he's saying in our lives. Help me with the next slide, which talks about the cause of this and the connections that we have, that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. So we still have connections with Christ, but we go through pain. Now, first of all, I need to accept that. And then I need to get through it with Christ in my life and get his help. Do you live like that? Do you understand with realism that there's pain that hits Christians? Whole creation groans. We do too. There's as much cancer in the church as there is outside the church, proportionately. But we live with first fruits of the Spirit awaiting a day and trusting him and praying. And our connection is with Christ. That's the good news. And the hope that he's going to mention is also the good news, that we have the Spirit of God. And the point that he's saying here, as we go to this next slide, the point that he's saying is, well, Josh, I gave lessons in driving. I don't know if I told you that. And the first lesson didn't go well. No, that's not a real picture. But here, the next one is, and it's clearly that we face these huge issues. The issue of storms come so clearly. And, and, and the, the issue that's, that's so clear here uh, is the issue of uh, the storms that hit our life. Can you help me with this next one? This, we're going to this. And, and clearly they're here every day, but the issue is how do we 
get clearly uh, God's help in those painful times. The issue of the rainbow is a reminder that this isn't going to go on forever. God stopped the floods and he will change everything else. So look at that third point. The third point is clearly we wait for the day. All creation groans, and we do too, waiting for that day. Verse 18. That's where we started. Watch what, watch, watch what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation, watch this, waits. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Then he says creation was subjected to futility. In verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, watch that, in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So creation will have its glory, a new heaven and a new earth. You guys, you think the sunset is beautiful. Wait till you see creation when he remakes it in its glory. You think the colors of the rainbow or the beauty of a newborn baby is wonderful, and it is. This will be perfect. This will be glorious, a new heaven and a new earth made the way God wants them to be, and this time in a permanent state, a new heaven and a new earth. As one person wrote in theology in a fun term, you haven't seen anything yet. Wait till you see the fields, and I think there'll be real fields. I think there'll be real fruit. There'll be a real new earth. But it will now be perfect without dandelions. I don't know if there will be cauliflowers but with a perfect state. If you think a sunset or a newborn baby is beautiful now, wait till you see creation in all its glory by Christ. But there's more. We also will be changed. Look at the next slide. Uh, Martin Luther was famous for saying this. We only have two days. Today and that day. Meaning... Nobody in this room really knows if we'll be alive tomorrow. We have today and that day. That's the day of judgment, but the day of the healing of the earth and of our bodies and the day of perfection that Christ brings for us. Are you ready for that? Are you in on that? Do you live your life today as if that's our biggest hope? Not that we think everything's wonderful today. Creation groans waiting for that day, but it says we also will have the redemption of our bodies. And the next one says 
that Christians wait for that day that we will be made perfect. Whoa. Here's the thing. On that day, when Christ returns, we will be raised, if you've died before that, your body will be raised and now made glorified, never to have pain again. No more tragedies, no more sorrow, no more crying. That's the promise. On that day, our bodies will be like the glorified body of Jesus Christ. It will be amazing. One theologian likened it to a rocket that goes up in the air on the 4th of July, and he says it's down here in a brown paper bag, and then it's shot up into the air, and it's these gorgeous colors. Right now, we're wrapped in this brown paper bag. We're human beings, and we've hurt, and we groan, and we finally die. But on that day, here's the end of pain. We'll be raised with Christ. Perfect bodies, pure conditions, eternal life. One time, early Sunday morning, I was putting my notes on the pulpit at the chapel, and the choir was in those days, a huge choir and an orchestra, and they were practicing. It was like 25, 30 minutes before the service, and I looked down here in the front row, and the worship pastor's two little boys were smoking on the front row of the pew. Now, they were using coffee stirrers to smoke, just pretending, and they were also arm wrestling with this arm. And I just laughed. I thought, that's my brother and me. He caused problems sometimes. <laughs> and I just laughed, and they were just bored waiting for their dad, who would take them up to their kids' class. But, coincidentally, that same week, the worship leader, when we met in my office, said, i got to tell you a story. Last night, I went into Tim's room. He was crying. And I said, Tim, why are you crying? And he said, because I'm going to go to heaven someday. Now, his dad always told the church and the worship leaders that in heaven we'll worship forever and ever. Now, he didn't mean that we'd sing or pray or sit in a worship service, but his sons heard him say that, and they thought, we're going to sit in a service forever and ever down the front row and we won't even have any coffee stirrers. <laughs> he was crying because he was going to go to heaven someday, and we both laughed about that. Can you imagine what it will be like in a glorified state without sin, I think without even temptation to sin, to live forever in the presence of Christ? When we go to heaven, you'll see him. I'll see my sister my mother, my dad. You'll see those you've lost at birth. We'll see Paul and David and Rahab and Adam and Eve and others who put their faith in God. Now, we don't walk around talking about that all the time, but we need to talk about it once in a while or say, yes, but did you know what's ahead? 
And in the middle of pain, sometimes our only hope is our hope. And we should pray for healing and pray for help, but some of it awaits that day. Someone says we're too heavenly minded, and C.S. Lewis, a wonderful uh, scholarly kind of Christian, wrote about that. Heavenly minded, we're too earthly minded. And he said, we're like a boy who's playing in the slums of the city in the mud and somebody invites him to a holiday at the lake or the ocean and he doesn't know what that means. And he continues to play in the mud. And so we complain, we complain and continue to play in our drinking and our social life and our flimsy pleasures not knowing the hope that awaits us. The answer to the world is not in Washington, D.C. We already knew that. But the answer for a personal life is in Christ our Lord. The answer in cancer or whatever you face is to keep your hope solidly in Christ. Will you do that? Will you live as if the most important thing is yet ahead? Find strength every day. But when you see the springtime come in a few months and the flowers bud again or the, or the butterfly come out of the caterpillar, you say, I get it. My hope is in the Lord. I rest in him. And someday all the world will know. And every knee will bow. And every language will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we live for. Our, our writer, Paul, said at another place that everyone who has this hope in him, that was John, Paul said, continue working. John said, whoever has this hope in him purifies himself, takes care of himself even as Christ is pure. You grow. Today, if you have never put your faith in Christ, start there. There is no hope without him. But if you do live that way, live that way. <laughs> and every night when you go to bed or every time you read of another accident or another horrible thing in the world, say, our hope is in the Lord. Help me Look at Christ and live for him. Will you do that? One missionary was coming home. True story. I read it in his biography. And coming home from years and years in Africa before they could go back and forth, like with an airplane. And he thought, no one's even here to welcome us. He and his wife in old age. And when they came to New York City, there was a band there and a, a bit of a parade and a crowd to welcome. And then they found out that Teddy Roosevelt was on that same ship and they were there to welcome him. And they got discouraged, no one to welcome them. And then it hit him that he was not home yet. And sometimes I need to think of that 
life is unfair, but I am not home yet. My hope is yours, is in the Lord, who made heaven and earth, and who will remake earth, and all of us who are in Christ when we get home. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much for that reminder from the scriptures that all creation will be remade and that in Christ, all of us who are there will experience glory forever and ever, world without end, and with the glory and wonder of Jesus Christ. As you pray, if you are in Christ, living in combination, thank him for that and live that way with his hope. If you are not sure of that, won't you ask for his help to love him, but first to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Ask God if that's true, what it means to trust him or if he's just making this up. And then God, please help me, help us live this way with joy and hope and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray in his name with thanksgiving that you would help us look at him and watch him and obey him. In the name of Jesus, amen.